Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Middle of the Road, the podcast. Episode 41 will take us into the latest Pixar film and their latest sequel, uh, being the first sequel to The Incredibles from 2004, so almost 15 years later, we're getting Brad Bird back at Pixar to deliver another Incredibles movie. Color me very excited for this one, if you've listened to our podcast in the past. And um, Ben reviewed it for the website, so we're going to let him start. Yeah, uh, I have been a big fan of the first Incredibles, you know, uh, I love that movie, uh, a whole lot. I liked this one just as much as the first. Uh, it's very rare when a sequel is as good as the original, especially when it, it's been so long and has so much to live up to. Uh, but I really, I would put Incredibles 2 up there with the Incredibles, which is one of my favorite Pixar movies and also one of my favorite superhero movies ever. John. Wow, we were keeping it short. Um, yeah, I I reciprocate uh, Ben's thoughts. I love the first Incredibles. Uh, it was, I mean, for one, just even uh, cinematically, the the animation style was kind of an anim- animation style that we hadn't been used to for, before. One that was a little bit more stylized. Um for like the era that it was trying to get across and excuse me, the setting. So that was really cool. And it, I mean, it was an amazing story. Um, I think there is a lot of connection between the main conflict and like the main theme that they were trying to get across about exceptionalism, which I think was really smart. And at the same time, there was this family drama of how this family is trying to deal with that situation. So it was actually, I, I think a very complex uh, conflict that they put into a kids animated film that ended up having a little bit for everyone. Um, now, could you repeat the exact same thing about this movie? No. Because it's, um, <laughs> it's the exact same thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's the exact same thing. Like it kind of, but I think, um, it's it asks a lot of good questions and it, again it has like those underlying themes i guess you could say but it isn't as i would say the conflict between the protagonist and the antagonist isn't as closely aligned to the main theme or message and like i guess bigger conflict in society uh than it was in the first message or in the first movie excuse me and so because of that, I think that just that aspect of it made it kind of fall flat for me. But at the same time, I did appreciate the things that it did do. I think it expanded the scope of the movie. I don't think we had a lot of we didn't get to know like I guess and I guess partly because when they were planning this when they were planning the first Incredibles, they just expected it to be just a one shot kind of thing. So we didn't have to get to know like what the city was like and what the greater um, society re- really felt like and I feel like in this one they really fleshed that out with like uh, the news pieces and like incorporating like world leaders and stuff like that and just some some added bonuses of 
uh, whether it was more time spent in the city environments or even at like a diner. So I thought that was really cool. Um, the dialogue was great. I loved the kind of role reversal with uh, Bob staying at home and Helen now uh, taking the leads as like the, the hero in charge. Um, I don't think the resolution on that conflict was as strong as it was in the first one. But yeah, I still liked it a lot. Thanks for also keeping it short, John. <laughs> this this doesn't seem this doesn't seem like a theme that we're picking up on when it comes to me. <laughs> yeah, no, we know all about it, John. We've picked up on it. <laughs> that was for the benefit of the audience. They've picked up on it too, I'm sure. Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Lauren. They have. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll say I didn't like it as much as the first one. It's like, but by saying that, I give the first one four and a half or five stars out of five, and this one's like a four out of five. So it's not falling far behind it. I just, I don't know. I wasn't in, as invested in the villain personally. And they projected who it was from, like, the moment, like, just the beginning of the movie. You knew exactly who it was going to be, which was kind of annoying. But so I'm glad they didn't necessarily leave that to the very end, the reveal. And I got to say, I was kind of disappointed that we didn't have as much family fight, like, combat and, like, going out together as I wanted. But at the same time, I loved all of Elastigirl's scenes, like... They did something that the Fantastic Four never did and was like by making the stretching power awesome. Like just the way she moved through the city, like she had Spider-Man swinging she was gliding. She did the classic parachute from the first movie again. It's like, so she's a really cool character. I would have loved more time with the family fighting, but I didn't necessarily, wasn't upset that we didn't get it, if that makes sense. It does. Um, I'm with Lauren. I think it, I don't know what I'd really change about this movie, but everything feels lesser than than the original, just slightly enough. And when I was referencing the John about the the movie being exactly the same, I mean it it's pretty beat for beat the exact same thing, except they flip a couple things, and that's it. Um, I think the set pieces are a little bigger, maybe, but they're also not as good. I don't think disagree i i would i would argue that the opening sequence in incredibles 2 is the best action sequence in any of the movies but like the beginning's much better than the final set piece for i'm me. taking elastic girl stuck in the hallway as the best set piece like where she's when she's breaking into the base by herself in the first one um, oh yeah that is that's a great shot that's a great scene i'm not sure if it's the best set piece. it's got everything it's really smart you'd it's it's smart utilization of it mm -hmm. but i like granted mm -hmm. her i mean her trying to save the train is really great as lauren at like showing her abilities and then that bike was pretty cool the bike scene yeah yeah but then i guess the when she's on the train, you get to see. I guess she doesn't. She's just kind of driving. It's it's more when she's going to find the. Uh, well, yeah, that was the one I was actually talking about. Like really showcasing yeah. her powers when she's uh, tracking the guy. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Screen Slaver. I don't know. I just have a weird. I I really enjoyed it. I was laughing a lot, but at the same time, when I left, I was like, I don't think anything touched the original for me in it. But then I might just be holding a slight grudge against the movie because. 
maybe I had too high of a ceiling it needed to reach for me. But um, I will happily watch it again. But I, the, I think the weirdest thing about it is it made me reevaluate my placement in for Incredibles in the pantheon of Pixar movies. Because I kind of realized I don't have an emotional reaction to these movies the way I do in many of the other um, Pixar movies. Um, so I, I actually demoted it a little bit um, into the like four or five range of, again, but I'm with Lauren. It's like a five star movie still, but Wait, the Pixar, original is a five star movie. So yeah, but there's what would a, you give? What would you give two? Four. Okay. So great, but not as amazing as the first. Yeah. That's exactly what I said. Not as incredible. <laughs> we have to say that at least like 80 times this episode. This was incredible, and that was incredible. I wrote that in my review, just throwing that out there. Does anybody put this in their top five Pixar, though? I don't think so. Gosh, I mean, that's hard, because I haven't even seen all of Pixar. I probably would. You would? I mean, I would say above this, I would definitely put the first Incredibles. I'd put Finding Nemo. I'd put Inside Out, probably, and Coco. I'm trying to think of what the fifth would be. Wally, Toy Story. Oh yeah, Wally. I've got Wally up, Toy Story three, Ratatouille all in competition to be higher than this one. I think. Ratatouille is is Brad Bird as well, isn't it? It is. Well, he took yeah. it over. I th- we'll never know how much the movie is all his first, but yes. So my my number one Pixar is Inside Out, and then I would put The Incredibles, both of them, right behind it. Well, not not right behind it, but like in the terms of Pixar movies, they would be behind it. But I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna rank another. You 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 have a wider gap between Inside Out and Incredibles, is what you're saying. But you would still put Incredibles right after Inside Out. Yes. Yeah, like Inside Out is in like my top possibly ten movies ever. I love that movie. Uh, I would not put Incredibles or Incredibles two that high. John, you want to attempt to throw any kind of ranking out there? It doesn't matter if you haven't seen all the Pixar movies. I just want to know your favorite Pixar movie. I mean, the best one's probably definitely Cars three, <laughs> and then like really, really, really down there, maybe, maybe, um, Monsters University. Those are those are both good movies, FYI. <laughs> Um, I actually didn't mind Monsters University. I've only University. seen the first um, cars. Monsters University was mediocre for me. I thought it was alright. Definitely wasn't Monsters, Inc. No. It's, well, I, the only thing I can do is by comparing this to the first one. And again, like I didn't like it as much as the first one because of, I think, the weaker theme and conflict. But I liked it better than the first one because of the bigger scope and the bigger like setting. So it it's like... Wherever I put the first Incredibles, I'm probably going to put this one probably around the same, if not maybe a smidge higher. And then I, I don't know what the rank, like, again, I, it, yeah, it's tough for me. I'm not okay. sure. I was just looking at the cast list for the Incredibles, and I like that they put in parentheses next to each character voice. Like, yeah. we didn't understand <laughs> that they were the voice actors. It's like, they weren't really the people wait, wait, that we were Brad, seeing. Brad Bird wasn't dressed up as Edna? <laughs> What? Hey, there is uh, a Wally has live action characters in it. Uh, so for that spoiler one alert. incident, they have to have keep it keep it different. Well, no, but there aren't any oh, live action characters in this Bef- one. Before I forget to bring it up, what did we think of the short? Before, oh yeah, I was waiting to do that till we were done with the Incredibles. 
Um, oh. It was good, gosh. but it really threw me for a loop there for a little bit. I don't know how oh to my interpret gosh. I was it. Like, <laughs> I gotta say, At first like... I was like People think Hereditary is the scariest movie of the year. This is the fucking scariest she movie of the year. Child. She just ate her son. <laughs> and then I, just, I was like, I remember, oh, it's a metaphor. Because I remember I like two or now. three days before um, before I went to see it, I, I had a couple pork buns. And I, I love pork buns so much. And when as soon as that one got a face, I was like, oh, shit, this is going to make me never want to eat pork buns again. God damn it. <laughs> No, uh, he was annoying. I'd still eat Yeah, him. he was an asshole. He deserved to get eaten. <laughs> um, I like, though, that... Um, well, does anybody know if this guy who made that, is he Japanese or Korean? Uh, the director is Domi Shi. Oh, I don't know how you pronounce Domi that. Domi Shi. She's, she's actually, I think, the first female director of a... It's Yeah, she's, it says she's the first woman to direct a Pixar short film. Very cool. That's interesting that it was a woman. I would have thought it was she a man. She was born in China. Okay. Her family moved to Toronto when she, she was two years old. Oh, so John. there you go. Shout out to Toronto for John. <laughs> Shout out to the city that I'm in. It just seemed kind of on point that her his mom, there would have been a divide over not that of him dating a white girl. I thought that was actually kind of culturally relevant. <laughs> what? Yeah, and I also, I loved how she made buns better than the sun did in the mm-hmm. end i thought that was really cool well, that's because women like, are better cooks cute. but what <laughs> what would, what would <laughs> no one touch it the, no one touch it though just, just is move it, on is it bad to agree is it don't bad to disagree I, I don't know what to do here so it, the mom though it did portray the mom being a little psychotic though like is, is it was it oh, just 100%. in her thought... in the, her you know false reality with this bun bow um child that they didn't that she was this crazy about him leaving the house and going on for his life or is that just like a normal cultural thing i don't know well i just assumed it was in response to her real son leaving so she was super overprotective i mean isn't like it's like empty nest syndrome kind of thing right like she doesn't want to be alone you know yeah because you know her husband was like never there (laughs) Oh, he wasn't. He kept That's what leaving. I'm saying. It's like I thought. It's like, did we miss a divorce at some point? What happened? He was in the first scene, and then we don't see him till like the very end again. Well, because I, well, I, I don't. What, were we supposed to take that as real as or something that really happened? Well, that's what I was saying. It's like, I'm not sure if I'm interpreting this correctly. What happened? Well, I think it's. I think it's a mixture of fantasy and, you know, her actual kid. It's like. The bun, the bun coming to life is totally not real, but she's imagining. Or was okay. it? <laughs> well, no, I get well, that it's supposed to be her if son. It did, That's then obvious, she's a murderer, but it's but... the if the if the bun was actually alive, that was interesting. I guess I think the tell is maybe that the dad wasn't around. It was just weird for me because it's like if it was supposed to be representative of our son, why not just have it be the son instead of a piece of food? Because then it wouldn't be. Well, Pixar the son was magic. already gone too. But like you're just you just said, is this reality or is it supposed to be representative of the relationship she had I with think her son? She was so reliving was... her relationship with her son through the this imaginary thing. Happen? Yeah. But I think I here's what I will say. I think he looked delicious. He, giving <laughs> Yeah, especially uh, with giving... all that facial hair. <laughs> mm. It was just some little spices. <laughs> 
I think creating that character of the super vulnerable, non-normal, I guess, uh, entity or character, I think it heightened sort of the feelings that you that uh, you were feeling that related to the mother in terms of like protecting her. And yeah, at times it did seem a little bit overboard, but at the times you were just like, oh yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. Like this kid is like way different than anyone else. And I guess that kind of at the end when you have the reveal of like, oh, this is actually maybe mirroring or representing her actual relationship with her son, her actual son. I think maybe that gave us a a peek into for first generation families, what those parents deal with is they have such this perspective on their kids as being, they're bringing them into this world and they are adults. So they can deal with like the new environment and all that kind of stuff. They can survive, but their kids they're not ready for that. And so how do you raise uh, a minority kid in a culture that may like reject them? And so I think that's a, I think that's a subconscious fear and uh, thought line that is in every first generation parents head. And so, or immigrant, I should say immigrant. I always get confused which one's first generation, which one's second generation. And any immigrant parents head. We're also just assuming she's first generation. No, this is fair. No, this is definitely fair, too. Um, I, I guess I should just say minority parent. Um, specific, especially, like, East Asian, South Asian, Southeast Asian, that kind of thing. And so I definitely, I related to that. I kind of saw a little bit of my mom in that parent. And that I think that's what made the reveal at the end that much more powerful, is that you get this sense of empathy for this mom and what, she's, what she fears she's losing. Um, when in re- reality she's got the opportunity to just gain so much more, and I think that's that was what was brilliant about making that couple interracial at the end is that I don't know it just builds bridges, you know. It strengthens connections, and it kind of uh, it uh, disbands and dismantles kind of superficial classifications a little bit more, which I think is always important. Point being, Pixar made a movie about cannibalism. So back to the movie we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> also, shout out to Toronto. I loved the I loved the scenes where you could see the CN Tower in the background. I thought that was really cool. So spoilers? Sure. Spoilers. 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 Can I go on a rant? No. Oh uh, you just ended one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fine. Go ahead. I think, okay, one thing that I loved, and I was alluding to this, the thing that I loved about the first Incredibles was how the conflict of what is the role or what is the purpose of exceptional human beings in our society and how do we value them and how are they, like, what do they contribute? I thought that was incredible. Ah, pun. Um, And then the conflict with Syndrome, Buddy or whatever, recognizing this idea that like oh he he looks up to them and he reveres them and he idealizes them and then he was rejected by them and then this idea of well if i make everyone incredible then no one's going to be incredible it's kind of like this rejection of exceptionalism and this um yeah but he was going to do that way down the road (laughs) no for sure i uh, but i think that was it kind of it it established the conflict. It presented the, like, one answer, which is, like, a rejection of exceptionalism, but presented it as the antagonist. And then the resolution was, like, no, exceptional people have their place in society, 
and their exceptionality doesn't make them better. It just puts them in a better position to serve. And I love, I love sort of how that was also modeled at the end in the track meet where you see the pars really cheering on their son and being like, yeah, like we want you to like run as fast as you can and do your best. But we also want you to like, keep in mind that like this power is a gift to like help you help others. Well, they didn't want him to run as fast as he could. He had to get second place. (laughs) Well, no, like, like they didn't want, but they didn't necessarily want him to hide the fact that he's like really fast. Right. And so I thought that was a, that, that was brilliant. I don't feel like the, the thematic build in here was as good. Again, it's kind of challenging. What is the role of exceptional people in our society? And then you also have this, what do we deal with the gender roles within a family unit? But the antagonist was really just, you killed my mom. I hate you. Like, like there, like there wasn't anything deeper beyond that. I feel so like, so would you say um, that the pro or antagonist undermined the theme? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, I bow down to you. You're the queen of puns, ma'am. You are way better at this than I am. Yeah, I'm with Lauren, though, that that I, I wish they could have hit it a little bit. Like, I remember when Syndrome being revealed as Syndrome, I, I was like, oh, I was surprised it was Buddy. You know, like that. I don't know um, if I was surprised, but it was way more satisfying. Yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't like it it didn't have this this mystery for very long because it was like, oh, here's this new villain. By the way, he's buddy within like five well, minutes of him but I showing mean, this up. This one, as soon as you hear the first thing she says, you're like, Oh, she's gonna be the bad guy. I mean, we've only met yeah. like two more people. Who is it gonna be? Oh no, no, I'm not I'm not <laughs> defending uh the twist on uh Screenslaver because it wasn't like it was like you said, it was telegraphed. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I just, I, there was more getting... suspense on my side trying to figure out that that was Catherine Keener's voice than figuring out oh. <laughs> if she was the screen slaver or not. My suspense was trying to figure out, for some reason, Sophia Bush sounded a lot like American Ferrara for, to me. I was like, I thought that was Sophia Bush, but maybe I read it wrong. <laughs> but yeah, <I> definitely <laughs> got she Catherine was void? Keener. Yeah, she was void. Which I would say the other, the other action sequence I liked... Um... Was, I did like the final bit because of her using her powers. I thought that was a really cool play. What did you guys think about all the other new heroes in general? Well, I like that they didn't try to give... When, when they flipped them all to just be a power to attack the Incredibles instead of trying to flesh all them out, I appreciated that. Like, I think keeping it contained a void as the one we're going to like kind of give some element of a character to, I think was smart, or else it might have gotten too much... I don't know, Maybe. I mean, I really related yeah. to the guy with acid reflux. <laughs> <laughs> also, I love that they gave Jack-Jack, like, an arch nemesis. In um, Raku- as a he's raccoon. gonna grow up to be a serial killer, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that that whole sequence that was That raccoon. <laughs> well, I just, in- I love Incredibles they, like... 3 is gonna be dark, y'all. Yeah, we got cannibalism this time, we get hero gone bad next time. I just love how they scale where Jack-Jack is using one power and it's like, oh, the raccoon might have the upper hand. And then he just throws out this other new power and the raccoon's like, what the fuck is this? And it just keeps spiraling out of control. I loved I think I love that so I much. I think my favorite Jack-Jack moment was towards the end when like him, it came, they brought it back where he could be used as like a gun to shoot lasers. Yeah, that was a good call back. <laughs> Oh, um, no, my favorite is when my favorite is when he turns into Edna and she's just like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, my God. 
I, I think no. I might have actually laughed the most when he just like got huge all of a sudden. Yeah, they didn't utilize um, they didn't utilize the fact that he could change into someone else. Like that would have been a great kind of. Well, utilization he's a baby though. He's not gonna be like intellectual enough to like, use that. I mean, I mean, fair enough. Jack Jack farting and then teleporting through the roof was the best gag in the movie. <laughs> yeah, anytime he sneezed, that was pretty good. Yeah, I just. I love the stuff with Edna where she's just like the suit, you know, I'll, I'll babysit for free. That's, uh, she's still my favorite character in either movie. To go back to the ending of the movie, it felt I, I, again, I, I think they did a great job of utilizing everybody's powers in the moment, but it seemed weird to like, as we're, we're making it bigger, all the actions seemed bigger in this movie. I guess, actually, well, I don't know. The island was a pretty big playground for them to play in last time, mm-hmm. in the first one. Yeah, but it was just... It, but but it the was city also, like, made so it feel removed. more diverse, maybe. Like, um, yeah. But to put it on all on this boat, I guess it gave them an interesting challenge. It, it, it did seem a little weird to contain them. I know it made sense for the plot, but uh, to, to then not let it be as big. And then when they were trying to save, to, to, to turn the boat or whatever... It got really big again all of a sudden, and it did throw me off a little bit and seemed... Um, Uneven? I don't know. It just wasn't as effective as the the fight against the um, Omnibot. I'll say one thing one. about that final fight on the boat. It felt a little... That whole... under. It felt really underwhelming how they handled the, the, or the heroes going bad because it didn't actually affect society at all. Like before, mm. like before regular hum- humans got to react to it, they were already saving the day again. And like, obviously there wasn't enough time, but that would have been a more interesting route to tackle, possibly. I did really like the scene where Mr. Incredible got beat by Helen. I thought that was really well done. Um, yeah. but I know what you're saying. Like we didn't, we really didn't, it, um, I forgot. Oh, I guess it was kind of Infinity War. We really didn't get to feel the real world's feelings about all this. There's a couple shots of people watching the press conference mm-hmm. and being like rah rah supers again. Yeah, I think but, there's like um, applauding well, even, at the end or something. Yeah. Or even every time uh Alaska was noticed, like whether it was like riding her motorcycle for the first time or like when she was trying to save the train, like people are always like, Is that Elastigirl? Like I thought it was one for the sake of making it feel bigger like oh yeah there there's obviously a public and a society that these heroes interact with that have like feelings about them but also like this idea that they were building up oh yeah elastigirl is the more marketable of bob of the two between of the of the two incredible parents and how does bob handle that in terms of seeing that role reversal um so i thought that yeah i thought that was really smartly done I also, I, I appreciated how they kind of, they made like Frozone, uh, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl is like, they were like the Trinity of like the, the, the Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman of a, of a different golden age era, you know, comic universe, which I thought was interesting. I liked that. Also uh, going, Zach, going back to your point about introducing the other heroes, um, did you also feel like there was a sense of, um, and like, I guess I'm directing this towards you guys. Cause you guys are also teachers, but Lauren, feel free to chime in. I don't want to exclude you, oh, but thanks. this idea that like they were, tr- 
Um, they were trying to be inclusive of yes, these people who had incredible powers, but maybe like if you took that away, they would seem kind of marginalized or different, differently abled. I guess is the term that we now use in education. Maybe uh, yeah, everyone than, looked like, kind of normal weird. population. They all looked kind of goofy. That, I didn't want to say it that Except, way. Except like, um, Void, who looked like Kristen Stewart. <laughs> oh, this is true. Oh, man. That's... Yeah. So, like, I, so I don't know if Who's that was... Who's weird in her own way, of... but I, I I'm love so her. confused. Clearly, I'm, don't, I'm not smart enough because I'm not a teacher. I, for, like, what John's are we talking about? just trying about? to say all the new supers <laughs> kind of oh, just the looked way like they, they were, were different. They were, yeah, I mean, their character design... Yeah, that them. that took if me they, out they of would the be movie, outcast honestly. if they didn't have this power. I mean, but well, they already were. I mean, outcasts, but if you just look possibly. at the animation style for a bunch of different characters, like just looking back to the Incredibles, I was like, that person doesn't quite look like a person. It was just a random person on the street, so it fit in this world to me. I mean, obviously the owl guy's gonna stand out, but but I don't know if anyone else necessarily would have. You could also compare like that. Uh... Dash and Violet. I mean, those two look nothing like neither of them look like their hu- their proportions are way off of human. You know, Dash's head is almost as big as his body. <laughs> I think I also need to be just like really like I guess straightforward or whatever. Like Brick. I guess I'm also I think maybe I'm associating most of this with Brick. Although the one electric guy kind of had a goofy face. Oh, a lot um, of them had. There goofy was that faces. moment where Brick. Where Brick went to like save the people in the boat after he uh someone Which took the glasses one was off Brick? of him. He was the big he was the Hulk. The guy much. who could crush and things. He... No, no, no uh, that was Cruncher. I thought Brick was a woman. No, was Brick a woman? No, Brick was the big dude, red suit. So I, what was his power? I thought just that was a woman. He was strong. He was he was just strong. Just beat, I don't remember this guy but, at all? So clearly, he that was, was the one who like beating beat Mister Incredible into the ground when they were on the boat. Well, so that's what I was saying. So he he was arguably one of the most powerful of them. But it seemed like when he was interacting with uh, those people on the boat who weren't supers, it seemed like, like he said "come." Like as a like he didn't necessarily talk normally. Like he he kind of just said like. I don't know. So it made it seem like almost maybe he was suffering from like a slight like intellectual disability. I mean, or there was one like that. that sounded like he had an accent. I don't remember anyone sounding. No, that that was the electric guy. I don't know. So I, no, I thought I'm it was thinking an, of the guy thought, who fought in Mr. Incredible in the hallway. That's okay, what so oh, oh no, he also did. Brick. Yeah. Uh, she is a super tough heroine with mega muscles. Is it she? <laughs> Told you. What? I, I need to see, I need Where? to see a picture because I don't know who you're talking about. I will send it to you. Give me just a second. I'm. Oh, I did not realize that uh, that was a woman. Brick. Well, like the, I didn't the hair. It, she it had like even... that I mean, was a body... woman. Her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You. Got... How am I the okay, only I'm one glad... who picked up? I guess on we that? all sound like. I guess we're all dicks. Well, I don't um, remember no, her talking. No, ever. I got it right. <laughs> I just thought she had big chest mus- muscles. Like, no, see, the thing for me, though, it's like, I don't remember anything about her character at all, other than the occasional, yeah. like, the camera would pan to her face not, I can't something. even find her on... Does she have a line in the, the movie? Wiki. I don't know. That's why I'm saying. She said, I don't Come, remember dude. her at all. She, like, ripped open the hall, like, looked at all the non-supers, and was just like, come, to say, like, come this way to safety. 
But she said it in such a way, or they said it in such a way, where it made it seem like uh, the individual had like an intellectual disability or something like Her that. Her full name is actually... Concreta Manson. Mason. Concreta Mason. What a name for Brick. Oh my gosh. I'm pretty sure they were that? just from different countries because they were talking about everyone grab yeah. your ambassador. That could be a two, yeah. Okay. Fine. I also think right. the fact that none of them were fleshed out outside a line or two besides Void did not help in us understanding yeah. who any of these people are. But Brick, shout out to you. Concreta Connie Mason. Um, did anyone else think there was a satisfying resolution to Bob coming to terms with his wife going back to work? No, it kind of just Or getting all this acclaim? Yeah, it like it just he kind of arrived at the fact that like no, I'm totally behind my wife now. Like he went through like all this frustration well, and like had that. He was super angry about it, but he didn't necessarily let it show even though obviously she got it and it was there, but like as soon as she gave or as soon as he gave Jack-Jack to Edna, it kind of dissipated. Like I didn't feel like they ever came to terms and, with it as a couple or anything like that. I mean, yeah, he accepts it, but that's about it. Like he's like, "Oh, this I got to do this." That that was another thing which I thought was kind of weak in the sense of that there like in the first incredibles they had this huge giant like argument while they were fighting back at the island and they realized oh we're all just like looking out for each other and looking out for the good of our kids and there's no reason why that can be mutually exclusive and they like worked it out and it was it was this great like lovers quarrel where at the same time they were kicking ass and taking names and it was great there's nothing really like that in this one and i i just i don't know it took away from the resolution of that character arc. And there wasn't enough Frozone's wife either, speaking of relationship quarrels. Again, <laughs> how do we not know what she looks like? Well, she's never in the room, that's how. Also, I, thought they re- I thought they released a, a picture of her, though, at one point. And so I thought we were going to see it. The, the, the Tony mind wipe thing also felt like it was just an excuse to give violet something to do this movie yeah um it just it felt a little too artificial like i enjoyed the like they they got good humor out of it and stuff yeah but but that just just falls into the category that we keep coming back to is how there wasn't necessarily enough emotional like it just they'd never fully cooked any of their ideas Mm -hmm. i mean it definitely feels like a part two um well, and... I, I would I would argue that her arc leads up to and what I like in my review, one of the most heartfelt moments in the movie is like she's been pissed at Bob the whole time. And Bob is kind of he's defeated at this point. And she just says, it's like, no, you're not you're not a bad dad. You know, you you made mistakes just but it was like this really sweet, you know, she still cares. And I, I thought that was really well done. Um also, her like shooting, the, yeah, like, that <laughs> shooting water out of her nose or whatever is probably the second funniest part of the movie. Like that's the hardest I've ever laughed at that gag before. I think, <laughs> or Same. ever, not I before. Just... But <laughs> John, yeah. anything to add? No, yeah, I thought again the family dynamics, the part where we got to see Bob struggle like crazy at home. I think it was great. I think it was well done. The resolution of like. Like, he says something at the end, like, she has to succeed so I can succeed so that our kids can succeed or something like that. And he said it at the beginning, but he didn't really believe it. And then he, like, said it again and then somehow really believed it. But I didn't see how he got to that point, really. All I did was I saw him, like, struggle a lot, 
have E take care of Jack Jack for a while and then take a nap for a day and then he was fine. Yeah, his his struggles of being a dad was like it was a very stereotypical like guy reacting to doing quote unquote female chores. It was there wasn't a lot of originality there. And I was actually a little bummed that they they picked Elastigirl because she doesn't just break shit like Bob does. And I guess they kind of show that, but they then they they don't really there was never a beat where they acknowledged like how she was making smarter decisions that were saving the city and not te- tearing it apart kind of thing. Yeah. Even though I guess her actions spoke for themselves. Yeah, and she did have that thing where she said like zero casualties, which I guess in retrospect, I guess Bob's record should probably be relooked at if he was having casualties when he was saving people, but Speaking of casualties, <laughs> In the first movie, when Frozone freezes the guard, is that murder? No, he unthaws. But that's not how reality works. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did love uh, Holly Hunter freaking out on the phone to Bob was like one of the highlights of the movie. Oh, when she she was like just talking about her adventure and she saved the train and all that. Yeah, and she's like screaming and then Bob's like looking at her like like, he's jealous. And then that's great, honey. (laughs) Yeah. But Holly Hunter was great in that moment. I know I've been I know I've been picking a lot of nits here, but I really did enjoy the movie. I look forward to seeing it again. Uh, it, it it just I I don't think I could be as nitpicky with the first movie in almost any way, and this one um, just let me down a little bit. But it's still great, and it's making all the money, and everybody's seeing it. So, do you think there'll be a third? Yes. I, I mean, they're going to throw a pile of cash at Brad Bird. I imagine Brad Bird will weasel another live-action movie out of them, and then he'll make a third movie. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of being 44, it's like walking into the theater, and all these kids were in here. It's like, you weren't alive when the first one was out. It's like, this is how people <laughs> must feel about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Star Wars. I'm, gl- I'm glad there's not a toxic Incredibles fan base out there, or we just haven't. It's not vocal. Yet. It's not vocal enough. I mean, there's least. probably yeah. some of them out there that hate that yeah. H- Helen Parr got to be the lead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. Some people on the internet. Yeah. Um. Anybody have any last thoughts on Incredibles two? Um. I mean, I think if you threw money at me, I could rework Incredibles two and make it like way more profitable. It's the most profitable <laughs> animated movie of all time. <laughs> Is it really? Wait, are you serious? Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, it'll be interesting how it does after, like, this weekend. It'll probably be a a big drop-off because of Jurassic World. Even though I yeah. feel like that movie's going to be a drop-off from the first one. I mean, obviously, a, but I mean, bigger than, it, like, the normal would be. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I was disappointed with the last one, but I'm still somehow super hyped for this one. <laughs> So we just briefly mentioned it, but we're going to review um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom next week, the sequel to Jurassic World, and the fifth entry into the Jurassic Park universe franchise. Part two of the second trilogy. <laughs> yes. I've heard a, I've heard all over the board on this one, so I don't know what to think going in, which is good, but I'm with Lauren. I was... A very soft, like, C- minus for the first one, I think. And then, uh, yeah, we'll see how this goes. But I do like the director. Um, 
the couple things I've seen that he's done. Jay Boena. And, uh, yeah, we'll um, see you back for that one. Until then, I'm Zach Oldenburg. You can find me at Zach Oldenburg wherever you can find that. And you can find us at middleofrow.com where we write some things. And I don't, has anybody written anything lately? Uh, We had had a bunch of John posted a a concert review recently. Mm, Concert review. My review of Incredibles 2. We already mentioned that. I'll be writing about Unravel 2 for those who are excited for that. Great. <laughs> I'm Ben Grigsby. You can follow me on Twitter at, at the Grigsby Bear, or you can follow all of us and find us on Middle of the Row on Facebook. I'm Jonathan Rahul. You can follow me on Twitter at Another Rahul J. You can also follow us on Twitter for updates when we post written content, whether it's video game reviews or movie reviews or concert reviews, or when we post uh, podcast episodes. And that's at middle of row, hashtag know the. And I'm Lauren Heimbaugh. You can find me on Twitter at Beware of Trees, and you can find us on Tumblr at middleofroad.tumblr.com. Thanks for listening. Go watch Jurassic World 2. And remember, the best seats are in the middle of the road.